This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel. And as you heard in Bob's News, the CARP campaign to fire long-term care minister Marilee Fullerton is gathering steam. And I actually watched her in question period get up on her feet and say that no nursing homes are now short-staffed and they all have enough PPE. And advocates and union people keep telling me that is not the case. And those are people who are on the ground. So who is telling the truth there? And it's day two of lockdown in Toronto and Peel regions, and we're finding out about some of the more ridiculous inequities in the rules. For instance, people cannot get haircuts, but pets can because pet grooming has been designated an essential service. I wonder who lobbied for that. And to paraphrase a saying from disgraced President Richard Nixon, A lot of people are hoping they won't have Donald Trump to kick around anymore. He is finally allowing the transition to proceed in the United States. If you would like to weigh in on any of these things, the numbers 360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I would like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and a special hi to Kim Wright, a Principal of Wright Strategy, sitting in for Karen Stintz today. Hi, everyone. Hey, Hello. Good Hello. Morning. So let's start with uh, Kim, who is NDP. What do you think of the deputy leader in Ontario bringing up the campaign to fire Marilee Fullerton? And I have one more thing to say about that. One of the things that she said in the House was uh, Ontario will soon get all these wonderful rapid tests. And I'm just looking at a tweet from David Fisman, who is a leading academic and epidemiologist on this. And it says... Last bomb I'm going to lob this morning, I promise. Ontario has been sitting on millions of rapid COVID tests for weeks now and hasn't figured out how or whether to use them. Kim? Yeah, frankly, the entirety of what's happened in long-term care was tragically predictable. There have been challenges for years and they've done nothing about it. And and this minister in particular, if rumours around Queen's Park are to be believed, she actually tried to... Uh, move on on COVID in the early days and was shut down. Now, all of that to be said, you have had situation after situation where long-term care facilities are overrun with COVID. There are staggering amounts of death. There are certain things that they could have done you know, over the summer and even before, uh, you know, ventilation systems in long-term care, making sure that there's PPE. This much ballyhooed iron ring around long-term care is nothing more than, than rhetoric and a bumper sticker from the, from the premier at this point. They've actually done very little about to actually move forward on this. They've got promises on staff 
you know, staff compliments for, you know, at some point over the next few years. That doesn't help anyone in the long-term care situation. And if anybody had taken five minutes to walk through a long-term care facility, they'd see the challenges well before COVID, but certainly how they've all been exacerbated now. So yes, this minister uh, needs to be held to account. This government needs to be held account. But more than that, you know, people have to realize, and I, and I speak about this quite frequently on my social media channels, there is a, a significant increase in COVID cases of those who are under 40 and under 20. Those people are now responsible for a number of the people who are dying in long-term care, that the correlation between uh, those who contracted the disease originally and then how it's flowing in. And as a friend of mine whose mother passed away in long-term care said to me, you know, everyone had a good time at Thanksgiving and now my mother is dead. Oh my we need to keep these things in mind and keep the government to account on Kim, them. Kim, before I move on, you were saying, uh, what can you tell us about those, uh, quote, rumors, speculation at Queen's Park that she actually tried to do something and was shut down? There was there was talk early on that uh, Minister Fullerton uh, had tried to convince uh, her colleagues in cabinet uh, that uh, that to take this more seriously, to take COVID more seriously. Certainly in the early days uh, of this, that this wasn't trending like a flu was, and that they needed to 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 move forward on this. Uh, but again, these are the rumors that have circulated around Queens Park. Regardless, these were the, these were comments from months back. This government and this minister have had six, eight months to figure it out, and they haven't. And the blood is on their hands, frankly. Uh, Charles, uh, do you agree with that? Just some perspective on the numbers. So in the first wave, 1,817 people died in long-term care. Now, since September the 10th, so that's roughly uh, three months uh, three months and a bit, there have been another 338 deaths in long-term care. And to me, what that says is they had the summer they promised. I mean, I certainly believed the premier when he got up there and made those comments, but but they haven't done it, I, I, I don't think. What do you think? Well, first off, I think Kim's notion of predictability reminds me of my grandmother who predicted the bombing of Pearl Harbor two days after it happened. I mean, there's nothing predictable about anything that's taken place over the course of this pandemic. Um, You know, what's happened in long-term care homes is tragic. And it kind of came as some surprise to see late last week um, the government announcing that contracts of new contracts for new long-term care beds have been awarded to three homes where 151 people have died, including Orchard Villa, where, where the military had to be called in to right the ship. I mean, that's that came as a, as a genuine shock. And in terms of the work CARP has been doing on its campaign, I think it, it's terrific. It's commendable. It's the kind of thing that advocacy organizations should be doing. I'm generally not a big fan of you know, calling on ministers to resign willy-nilly at smacks of partisan politics and, and so often is unjustified. In the case of Minister Fullerton, though, I mean, there are, there are very, very serious concerns. I mean, when you get into the world of alternative facts where, oh, they have all the staff they need, they have all the PPE they need, when that just simply isn't the case, that, that's when you're getting into really a, a dangerous area. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, I, I, full disclosure, I have not been on the ground to verify who's right. But when 
when you keep hearing from people who are there or who represent those people, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard not to believe them. And, you know, we, with this, John, with this long-term care minister during the pandemic, they were doing inspections by phone. I mean, uh, what do you make of all of this? Well, let me first address and, and uh, something that Kim said, and I'm a, I'm a big fan and, and I adore Kim, but the fact that to say that blood is on the hands of the minister in this government is offensive, quite frankly, uh, and and I think uh, I think she should she should not use those kind of words um, to, to describe anything that's happening in this pandemic. This pandemic is something that nobody's nobody's seen. Everybody is trying has been trying to deal with from the time it started. Uh, certainly, we are at a position now where we know a little bit more and are trying to adjust. But this government, like any other government, has trying to grapple and has been grappling with issues. Uh, from from the, the minute this this infected our our country and has ever since been uh, been causing and wreaking havoc for uh, for not only seniors but for everybody else and I think that you know and, and again I've, I've mentioned this before Libby this this premier this government has been trying to do they, what they can to balance everything they can with the, with the information the advice they get from health authorities uh, as well as the small businesses because we know that the lockdown that happened in March through to uh, to uh, summer, uh, you know, was we, we just can't repeat that, and it had affected so many businesses, and 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 yeah, you know what, healthcare and and people's lives are first and foremost, and that's something that the premier and his health team have been able to grapple with and have been dealing with, especially at long term care. Is there is there a solution uh, for long term care facilities? Well, no, it's a systemic problem that's happened for years. They're trying to deal with it. They're spending a lot of money and attention on it. Is it resolved now? Well, no, it's not. And it's going to have to be resolved, and they're going to try to get it resolved as much as they can. I think the fact that they have you know, are trying to address the, the vaccines and trying to put you know, Rick Hillier in charge of it, I thought was a good step to, uh, to that. But, you know, there's a lot of issues that still have to happen and, and have to get resolved, and this government is trying to deal with it like everybody else at a time when no one really knows, you know, when we're going to be able to see the end of this. Okay, now here's, here's one thing. You know, in general... I do give the government high marks for dealing with this, but not in in long-term care. And here's a, for instance, Quebec was in worse shape than we were. And what they did in the summer when there was time, because the issue is staffing, number one, they changed the designation of the personal support workers. They called them or- orderlies. They upped the wage and they opted to pay for training. And the result is that they have a lot of people in place now when they need them. And I, you know, the only explanation about why that wasn't done here is the money. And, uh, you know, the things that the government has done, I would argue they have not communicated adequately. You know, they've started these hubs with hospitals, which are good and, and beefed up infection control. But I mean that that was that's just money that wasn't spent, John. Am I am I wrong? Well, no, and I and I think that there's you know money is the, the question of money being spent and money being spent fast enough, or is there enough money? Is always going to be there. We we the, the the prime minister gets it every day with respect to the opposition and whether or not the money that he's allocated to the provinces and to the province of Ontario is it getting there? Is it getting fast enough? Is it going to the right areas? And and I would say the same with Ontario and every other province. You know, there's never going to be enough money, and it's never going to be distributed as quick enough to to the people that need it. But what has to happen though is at least a recognition that money is needed and money does need to get out there and trying to get the money to the people that we can. I think that overall governments, and I've given 
a large credit to, to the prime minister early on for, for the fact that he is, he was quick in, on, on some of the programs, the emergency relief program, the wage subsidy programs and other programs, um, that were extremely helpful to businesses and individuals who lost their jobs, certainly early on in the pandemic. Uh, and certainly the province who has given a lot of money to, to the small businesses and to other areas that have been affected by this. But, but Libby, there's always going to be the question of, is it fast enough? We'll know. Is there enough money that, to give around? Well, no, but, you know, we also have to realize that at some point there's going to be a recovery uh, that we're, we're going to need to sort of get, get the economy jumpstart again. And we're going to have to start paying down some of the debt. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so I guess uh, on the long-term care file, uh, I would say jury is out on how the government is doing that. Let let us move on to business. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're going to deal with it in the in the second half of the show. So we're in lockdown, and here I I I do you know cut a bit of slack. There are always these unforeseen things, but we had this total. Hudson's Bay fiasco yesterday where they opened their seven or eight floors for business because in the basement they have a gourmet food hall, which, by the way, was closed from March until now and had no fresh food when people checked, had fancy, you know, expensive things like um, Malden salt. Um, so clearly that was a, a misinterpretation of the rules. But, you know, today we hear that uh, you can get your dog groomed, but you can't get yourself groomed. Uh, uh, Charles, what do you think? Well, I have to give credit to the premier for being very quick to call out the bay for what is, you know, obviously exploiting um, a loophole. Um, we're in a lockdown. I mean, the realities of a lockdown are pretty much self-evident to Ontarians right now. I think most right-thinking people understand the singular importance of getting this right and flattening and blunting the curve once and for all. As for dog groomers, it's uh, Lord knows how that has come to pass. I mean, you can make the argument that it's the you know, the groomer and the dog, and that's it, and there's really no chance of transmission of that kind of situation, and that there can be curbside drop-off. But, you know, there are just so many different impacted organizations and individuals who could justifiably make a solid case for themselves who simply aren't being allowed to. And dog grooming as an essential service really just seems to uh, uh, go beyond the pale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, unless you I'm, have a dog. <laughs> I mean, the the um, well, no, I can see why vets should be an essential service. You know, people who have dogs, it's a member of their family. If if the dog is sick, but maybe the the dog doesn't need to have their nails done while you can't. Yeah, I'm 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 uh, not sure that uh, Fido needs the mani pedi at this point. But I mean, look, the reality is they didn't really think through one. Uh, you know, different industries, how they've actually uh, brought in new new roles and responsibilities and safeguards. And, and frankly, I think that's, that should have been a better communication with the Ministry of Labor, uh, with the Premier's office. And, and But moreover, we've got real problems around contact tracing. So the government is making some of these decisions somewhat willy-nilly because they're, they don't have the data of where some of the uh, case counts are actually coming from or how the spread has happened. A number of them, frankly, are coming from uh, manufacturing. And then, then it becomes, is it community spread? into manufacturing or manufacturing out into the community. So we've got some questions certainly around that. 
but but what you're seeing is people just scratching their head. And one of the largest problems we've seen for months now has been a lack of enforcement, both from local municipalities who have control over their own forces, uh, as well as from the province. And today is a prime example. We have this barbecue place in Etobicoke. Uh, that went on and went on to social media and media and said, you know, come on down to hell with uh, government uh, regulations. like live coverage, blow by blow, with with the reporter saying, I'm looking through the window. Uh, uh, oh, uh, yeah, they've started to eat. You know, I'm wondering and, what, what's and for dessert. Daring, they were daring the governments to say, you know, fine, find me. You know, ultimately, uh, hopefully and, they and, will. And ultimately, every person, my perspective, that restaurant should be fined, and every person in that went into that restaurant should be should be fined. At the end of the day, we have seen case after case, whether it's been people partying up in uh, Cherry Beach or Bellwoods Park, or uh, you know, parties in storage locker units over the last couple of weeks, or these drag race shows that have happened in the wee small hours of the morning, and because there have been no enforcement measures. Everyone's like, you're not really taking the government. You're not really taking these rules seriously. Why should we? And people are trying to do the right things. Most people I think I know, some of those parties were were shut down. Uh, Kim, I'm they were sure. never. There was never actually, uh, especially the ones over the course of the last couple of months. There weren't charges that were laid. Finally, they've started laying charges on some of these. Uh, but the police uh, were very clear saying, well, we don't really want to get involved. One of the things they could have done with many of them is set up like a photo radar type of program outside of these. Uh, these car shows and just find find the vehicle owners as they were coming out. They didn't necessarily have to get involved in them. But because there has been a lack of enforcement well, across the board, that's where people are just like, why are these rules? What are these rules and why are we having to follow them? Okay, uh, let's hear from Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good morning. <clears throat> Good afternoon. Uh, yes, government by all means has to impose the fines. If you if you don't do it, people will just laugh at you. Um, I know all about this because I was a municipal councillor for eight years. All you have to do is issue the fine once and everybody falls in line. Okay. Uh, I think they've done that. I think I know that with those uh, parties in the storage units, uh, they have issued fines. But... That was the first time in a long time that they've actually done that, Libby, and that's where people were, you know, just shrugging off the rules. Okay, Pat, anything else? Well, just this whole conversation about needing more for long-term care, I totally agree. The the discussion never comes about as to how much is this going to cost and who's going to pay for it. I mean, if if the residents have to increase their cost by 25 or 30 percent, you know, there'll be screams. But where's the money to come from? A good question. Usually a different level of government. Thanks for that, Pat. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so let's go to John. I mean, uh, do you see the, the government sort of tweaking this? Uh, coming up in our next segment, the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses asking for some tweaks to the rules because, frankly, they're, they're allowing these uh, mostly foreign-owned big box stores to sell uh, stuff that uh, small businesses have to shut their doors and can't sell. I think all... I think all governments, Libby, are, are going to be tweaking, and this government as well um, will be tweaking as far as opportunities. Uh, it, 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 like, I'm, I'm hearing a bit of a, a feedback. Did you hear that, Libby? Or? No, we're, you, you sound fine. Okay. 
Um, I'm just going to say that, that this, they, they continue to do the, feed, the, the tweaking because of the fact that everything that they learn from and everything that they're hearing from, from businesses and from other groups that come to them, are going to say to them, look, this is not working. This is going to be a, something that we can help with. As, as an example, I'm not one to speak about hair salons. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but you know, as a pet lover, uh, I can understand the fact that pets, especially when people are working from home, are hugely comforting, are important to them. So there is an opportunity to say, okay, well, look, if it's just a dog and a groomer and there's no interaction, then maybe it's something that they can continue to do. And it's in the spirit of making sure that businesses and others continue to strive. So there's that balance that this government continues to, to, you know, that fine line they walk that they have to continue to do, and they'll be tweaking it along the way. Yeah, actually, we have a, we have a, a caller waiting, and I will take it, uh, who can speak to the pet grooming issue. Uh, Charles, do you agree that it's just a matter of tweaking the lockdown? The other uh, unfortunate thing about the lockdown is I was talking to Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown yesterday, and uh, he has the hardest hit areas, and all or a very large percentage of their workers are essential designated essential workers they work in manufacturing in transport in healthcare so lockdown there is almost meaningless people aren't staying at home because they have to go to work so you know is it even going to work at all charles well it it has to work and the numbers will drive further action on the part of government if the numbers continue to grow. I think the relative uncertainty of this morning's numbers, you know, just reporting over a thousand cases, but, you know, obviously a technical glitch and, you know, we'll see what the numbers look like tomorrow. But if things continue the way they're going and if people in the United States get together on mass over Thanksgiving and then over are. Christmas, and if we're doing the same thing here, especially with regards to Christmas, we, we could be sitting on a volcano. Well, and, you know, and then all questions as to, you know, what's, what's, what's an appropriate balance will go out the window because we will have a hugely significant problem on our hands with uh, hospitals operating over capacity, uh, ICU beds being unavailable to those who most need them. Uh, ventilators not being available. I mean, these are these are very real and legitimate concerns that have been experienced by other countries in Europe. And um, so, my hope is that government will do everything it can to ensure that the curve is flattened as quickly as possible. But ultimately, it does, as as um, John has noted previously, it comes down to personal responsibility. And it's hard to tell a 21-year-old uh, full of hormones that, you know, they have to stay in with mom and dad or, or what have you and not go out and party. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's hard stuff. Uh yeah, and you know, one of, one of the things that really struck me the last few days when I was uh, watching U.S. television and watching the, the last number I saw was a million people traveling in airports, crowded airports going to all parts of the country. And when discussing this, some of the, uh, the, the media people there were bringing up Canada and they said, well, it's like in Canada after their Thanksgiving, they, they had more cases. And I'm thinking it, it, it's not even in the same universe what happened here and uh, what they can expect there because, boy, it does not look like, a, even though the CDC finally issued an order saying don't travel on Thanksgiving, no one is listening. Yeah, they've been too far removed on so many of these things. I mean, we saw a couple of weeks ago 
the ratios that just in Texas alone are one in 30 people are coming down with COVID. That's an extraordinary number. But what was even more devastating to me was to hear that they've got pop-up morgues happening. And while all of this sounds like it's a, you know, somebody wrote a weird sci-fi and late last year and got it published on the Netflix, this is the reality people are facing and, and we need to take this seriously. And I think part of it is, you know, as, as we start to know people who've come down with COVID or see some of the actual stories, then it becomes real. And you saw in some of the media coverage out of the United States, uh, an, a COVID nurse uh, telling the story of how she had patients in her COVID ward who were still saying COVID is a hoax while they were saying, you know, their final goodbyes to loved ones. That is extraordinary to me. And and when I see Minister Elliott not publishing uh, how many people in Ontario have died uh, due to COVID, that to me underscores part of the problem because if she's why I, that information is very easily available. But it's I mean, easily really. available. But if the health minister is not wanting to put it forward, then it it does go with this other narrative of it, we're, we don't want to talk about how where this ends up oh, and, I, I and don't i think, think that's important yeah. and i think i think I it's an think important that at all about her. part of the conversation has to be had because people need to take this seriously well i i think people here do take it seriously let me um uh take it seriously except for maybe those uh, hormonal 21 year olds um let's take a call from Stephen brampton you wanted to say something about pet grooming uh, hi Libby. Yeah. hi um First of all, to agree with your panel, I think there's a, a whole lot of tweaking that needs to happen in terms of who can stay open and who can't. I I have a 12-year-old, uh, a little more than 12-year-old dog now. We're, we're the same age, I like to say, and he has a number of health issues. He's actually had two surgeries. One was a life-saving surgery this year during the break. But I have him groomed into, I have him booked into the groomer every three weeks for a special shampoo and a special skin treatment because he also has a lot of skin issues. This dog's cost me a fortune this year. So he's, he's booked in like forever. It's an ongoing thing. So when Doug Ford announced the closures last Friday, I phoned the groomer Friday night and I said, are you open or not? And she said, we don't know. We don't know. And I was supposed to bring the dog in this Thursday coming. So she phoned me first thing Saturday morning and said, look, I can squeeze him in at noon today, but I don't know when you'll get him back. So I took him in had him done, picked him up at 8 o'clock that night. Uh, I actually had to forego a date with a woman to take the dog in. And uh, then she told me when Aren't I Aren't you him supposed up, to stay at home? <laughs> Pardon me? No, you're, you've got I'm, to I live alone. I'm okay. allowed to go out of my bubble. Steve, Steve, cut to the chase. Okay, the chase is the dog requires this kind of uh, care from the groomer. And for me, it's a, it's a big deal to get the, the, the shampoo, the skin treatment, all the things, because... He has issues that require, and the groomer does it, not the vet. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Uh, what's your dog's name? Uh, Nike. He's. Uh, I didn't name him. I wanted Rufus, but that's another story. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we, 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 we wish uh, all the best to, to Nike, and um, we have an explanation about why that is an essential st- service. It's not just being pretty. Okay. Just so you know. Thanks, Steve, for <laughs> Thanks. your call. Well, I have to say that uh, when the lockdown was announced, uh, you know, I I wanted to get my husband in for a haircut, 
And because of that, uh, the, the hairdresser up the street was working on Sunday. I don't even, probably till midnight because, uh, she was booking calls, you know, for late in the evening on Sunday. So I think stuff like that. And I know that she kept to the rules in terms of how many people were there, but I can tell you that when I was, I've gone a few times during, you know, stage yeah. two and, usually been the only person in the place. And, uh, you know, on Saturday, Sunday, there were maximum people, the maximum allowed were in there because people were just trying to get it in. And I don't know if that was such a good thing. It's, it's one of the things, Libby, that's interesting about this, because the hairdressers, they actually go through training of how to make sure they're not spreading any sort of communicable diseases. And, and in fact, they they were some of the uh, first two, especially back in the day around HIV spread uh, and other diseases. So they actually have, in fact, put in more uh, aggressive uh, components into this than I've seen in a number of other in- industries. So hopefully, uh, you know, they can they can start to reopen soon because they actually do have uh, the ability through their their college as well as through their uh, their stakeholder groups to do this quite well. Um, so I, hopefully they get uh, they get back up and running soon because I think they they could be a model of how to reopen safely. Okay, um, we're running out of time, so I'm going to paraphrase a question that I have from a caller in Guelph, and maybe Charles knows the answer. So the house parties, does each person in in the place get fined, or or is it one ticket to uh, the person? Running Running it, Charles. Do you know? I think it's one. It's the ticket to the person running it, but don't quote me on that. Okay, John. Do you know? Yeah, I, I, I think there's a situation where the organizer gets charged an extra amount, but everybody, every individual gets fined as well, as, as it should be. As it should be, but who, who the heck is going to enforce it? Uh, we're basically out of time. So, uh, twenty seconds, John. Well, I, you know, I just hopefully that. Uh, you know, we can sort of get back into normal, I think, the vaccines and then the issue and the good news that's coming around there is good. I just heard that Canada is taking, uh, buying some more from Eli Lilly vaccine doses. So that'll be hopeful for us as we enter the holiday season. Okay. And Charles? Oh, Rudy Giuliani. He uh, led <laughs> Trump into the jaws of impeachment through shenanigans in the Ukraine. And now his disastrous post-election legal strategy has uh, left Trump at the doorstep of the White House uh, packing his bags. Okay, well, apparently he's he charges twenty thousand dollars a day, and my prediction is that Trump stiffs him. <laughs> prediction? That's a certain near certainty. Okay. <laughs> I, actually, okay. I actually will agree with Charles on this. <laughs> okay, we all agree then. So it's time to uh, wrap it up. Thank you so much, Charles Bird, John Capobianco, and Kim Wright. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. Okay. Bye, bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.